You're listening to Ants Talk. On August 3rd, 1991, our next guest was on a ship called the Oceanos that set out from East London, South Africa, headed for Durban. The ship ran into 40 knot winds and 9 metre, which is 30 foot swells. While off the coast, an explosion was heard and the ship lost power and started to take on water. The ship later sunk. Our next guest, Ronan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, Anthony. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I really appreciate it. I found the story fascinating. That's why I've got you on to have a chat to us. <laughs> so can you tell us about that day? How did it all start? And, and you were working in the gift shop, is that correct? Yeah, so a slight backstory of how I got there. I, I got a job on cruise ships, which I thought, great, this is my dream job. And a little bit of nepotism involved. I knew somebody that knew the owner of the cruise line and got me this job. So it sounded amazing. South Africa, hadn't done a lot of traveling before. I'd, I'd done some, but this was amazing. So the, the job itself was, was pretty ordinary, working in the gift shop, very long hours. And we were in South Africa in the middle of winter. So we get these, the two oceans meet. So you get these right. huge swells. Uh, you talked about the size of the waves, but the swells are even bigger. They're the bottom to the top, sort of massive. Yeah. But it, I was very, very naive. I just very, very green. And that's just, just my nature. I'm quite a trusting sort of naive person. So, so when this all unfolded, I just went almost with sort of um, almost beginner mindset or, as I said, very, very naive. So as the whole drama unfolded and everyone's got a different perspective on two things, right? You ask two people what happened at a crime scene. You can get two different completely versions of that. Mm. My whole experience of the day was it was actually quite a bit of fun. And because I survived and everyone survived, I can say that. You know, if yeah. there was loss of life, it would probably be a different, Scenario, different perspective yeah. and potentially yeah. different story. But luckily enough, through um, sure, pure luck, this, this, none of it was planned. It was just this something that unfolded and and again you could write a whole book about it it was just this amazing thing but to me as i said because everyone survived i just remember all the funny things that happened at the time and just how i reacted to that yeah um and i also read somewhere that it was initially delayed due to a bomb threat no we'd had we'd had really rough weather about two days before all these things converged at the same time about two days before we sailed out of Cape Town and it took the pilot about an hour to get off the, re the weather was so bad and I saw him jump and the, the pilot boat's going up and down like this and it, it went round about four times it took about an hour to get off normally it's a very simple procedure mm. the day before we sunk one of the waiters jumped overboard so we oh. had this we had this wedding in it was either East Durban or sorry um, East London or Port Elizabeth I forget which it was about halfway between the two big um, coastal towns of South Africa which is Cape Town um, by the Cape of Good Hope and then Durban on the other side. And this guy had paid a lot of money to have his daughter get married on the, on the ship. So we're having this champagne breakfast in the morning and it's still, as I said, it's pretty rough. And someone asked the waiter to take a photograph and he dropped his tray and just jumped overboard. Just what? jumped on it. <laughs> Crazy stuff. <laughs> so they, they, they launched, yeah, they launched this Zodiac. They, they collected him. They had to punch him to stop him trying to get back out of the boat and they locked him up on the ship and, and got him off wow. and that night before uh, again we'd sailed out because the weather was so rough the captain said we're not sailing out and this guy said look i've paid a hundred thousand us dollars to get married on the ship i'm not getting married in port we're going out 
So we sailed out, we got married, everyone got really seasick, and we went straight yeah. back in. This was 24 hours before we sunk. Oh. So I don't know where the bomb threat came from, but that, that wasn't the case. But it, it was okay. very bad weather all the way leading up to the ship sinking. Right. Yeah, because um, I actually found that on Wikipedia. So Because there's actually a Wikipedia page based around the events of that day, and they actually mentioned it in there. But maybe they got confused. Maybe that guy threatened a bomb or something if he was a little bit nuts. <laughs> he was quite a bit nuts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds it. All over a photograph. That's just fascinating. Um, so thankfully there was assistance and, and people able to aid all of the passengers off the ship, such as the South African Navy and also the Air Force, who used helicopters to lift you all off the ship because the captain and the crew had actually taken off prior, hadn't they? So, yes. So everything you expect is supposed to happen on ships. And, <clears throat> and I continued to work for them for the cruise lines for another eight, eight, nine years. So it didn't deter me. This was as my pretty much very first experience. And all the training and everything that you, you go through, none of that happened. The, the procedure of, of announcing that something had happened and calling people to their muster stations, that this is the crew and the staff, none of that happened. So it was Chinese whispers. I didn't even know the ship was sinking for about the first two, three hours. I knew something had happened because, so what happens? So I'm working the gift shop, it's about nine o'clock at night and all the lights go out and this emergency lighting comes on. And, and we heard this sort of bit of a, bit of a noise, but the, as I said, being so rough and we'd heard a lot of noises, didn't really put two and two together. So I'm told to close the gift shop and you know, sort of, sort of hang around and start to do a few, a few things. But this was all through word of mouth. So mm. there was none of the procedures that they have in place on ships and they've had them for a while and, and now they're even more robust. So then eventually they ask us to clear some of the decks to, to start lowering the lifeboats. So I'm thinking, okay, well, something's serious happening here. But again, I've got no real idea. I'm, I'm completely oblivious to most of this. So what happens is we load the first lifeboat with women and children on the one side, and on the other side, all the senior officers, pretty much all the senior officers leave. I'm talking the staff captain, the chief engineer, the chief radio officer. There's not a single passenger on there. And this crew have taken their, their bags and their money and their possessions. So they, they all know it's sinking, right? Mm. I've left down in my cabin um, the money from the, from the gift shop. Uh, they said, I'll oh, just lock that downstairs. So I left money from there. I got paid the day before. So my money, camera, everything. So I'd left everything down there because I didn't know we were sinking. Yeah. And all the crew did. So they'd all told each other. So they all go, and then we're, we're kind of left with putting people into lifeboats, but not really knowing what we're doing, because you're talking, me, I'm 23 years old, went to the gift shop, I've got no idea how to launch a lifeboat. Uh, there were a few of the crew left, but, but not many. None, none of the senior officers there going, you should do this, this is a procedure. Yeah. So we're filling these lifeboats uh, as best we can, and, and I'm talking the, the, the person on the bridge was the, the band leader, and yeah, time, I was going to ask you that because supposedly two of the band members were sort of like key figures in having, you know, basically saving people's lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cruise director, again, she was not employed by the ship. She was employed by the company that chartered the ship. She did an amazing job of starting to say, like, well, we need to do this, we need to do that. Mm. So she was running the coordination of the rescue. And again, it's not her ship. It's not her pay grade. She's just the, the front end, you know, sort of hospitality yeah. side of it not her job to, to do that but that's what happened people just stepped up and said you know some people sort of just really panicked and they were crying in the corner and others just sort of stepped up 
Yeah. And as, as this unfolded, there were just so many funny things happen. Uh, we had to go and knock on every single person's door because there hadn't been an announcement. People had gone to bed sick early. So we had to knock yeah. on every single door to hopefully make sure we got everyone out of their cabins. Mm. We, um, by the time we launched all these lifeboats and people were saying to me, oh, come in the boat with me. And I said, no, like, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and I, I had this conversation just as they're la- launching it. So all these lifeboats go, and because we're not trained in it, we haven't filled them correctly. And there's still 170 people still on board and no more lifeboats. And at that stage, there's ships around us, but the weather is so bad. I'm I'm talking 100 mile an hour wind, 160. There are roofs being blown off the wild coast. It's called the wild coast for a reason. And this is at night time. This is at night time, yeah. You're talking midnight, one in the morning. I would be terrified. So what happens is that we gather everyone up into the lounge and, and they said, oh, well, let's play a bit of music. So the band start playing Bye Bye American Pie. And then they get to the, the line of this will be the day that, oh, we better oh, no. change. <laughs> better sing something else. <laughs> oh, so, my God. So this is, lucky enough, it's sinking very, very slowly because, as I said, it started about 9 o'clock at night. Um, this is sort of 12, 1 in the morning. There's... There's, there's nothing else we can do but just sort of get buffered around. And there's ships around us, but they can't come close to us because it's dark, it's, yeah. it's really rough. So they're holding off their distance. And, and at that stage, as I said, the, the May Day was done by the, the band leader. And so they said, oh, what's your position on the ship? And he said, well, I'm in charge of the band. They said, well, where are the senior officers? Well, there's no one here. I'm, I'm up on the bridge making this May Day call. And, and it's not, again, it's not my role. So... As this unfolded, I at one stage I went down on my own to the dining room and I saw the water was up to the porthole. And at that stage, I was like, okay, we're, we are definitely sinking because um, I've looked out before and it, we're normally about three decks lower than yeah. that, the water. So I said, you know, this, this, is, um, this is it. Uh, and at that stage, I had no idea how I was going to get off because there was no more boats left. Did you, was there a sense of fear then? Because you're saying that, you know, before it was a little bit sort of almost. That was about the only time I had that. I had a tiny moment because I was on my own and it was dark in there. And so it was quite eerie. At that, yeah. yeah, I had I had about a 20 seconds of, oh, okay, this this is really serious, you know, could, all, could really end badly. But that was about mm. the only time. I must admit that, um, I mean, there's been many a time that I've thought about going onto a cruise ship, but the thought terrifies me. It actually does. I, I, all I can ever think of is being in a very similar situation to what you were in, but maybe not being as close to a coastline, you know, being completely out at sea and something like that happening. And just the time it would take for people to come and potentially rescue you. That freaks me out. I just think to myself, the last thing I would want to do is to be in shark infested waters, you know, (laughs) in freezing cold water, especially at night time, like that just horrifies me, that thought. Absolutely horrifies me. So I've never actually booked a cruise. <laughs> Probably for that reason. Um, I think we, we all have our beliefs and our, our assumptions and, and they're real to us, but not to, not to other people. Same yeah. as flying is statistically the most safest form of travel, but people yeah, still have yeah. a homophobia around that. Yeah. Um, like I said, true. I was very naive. So for, for me, and even when, after it happened, I worked for another eight years because 
I went, well, that's probably the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me on ships. You know, it's yeah. all happy days from here. Isn't that crazy? So you did go back and work on ships? Yeah, for another eight years. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so what I read too was that uh, the reason a lot of the lifeboats couldn't be used was because as the, 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 uh, the ship started to actually fill with water, the, it sort of leaned to one side and therefore the, the boats actually couldn't be sort of dropped down into the water properly. Yeah, there was, there was one or there was either one or two left. We were still we were still well short, but I, I think it was the last one we loaded. And then, yes, because it was um, listing so far to the one side, mm. the, the length of the ropes uh, to drop down and the fact that the swell was so high, they could have potentially tried to drop it and had this huge drop uh, yeah. that, that was was potentially, you know, life threatening for everybody in there. So it was really only the my memories was only the last boat because I helped load that and then we had to unload everybody. Yeah. So, so that wasn't the only reason. Um, right. It was, it, I said it was part of the fact it was so poorly managed because we didn't know how to fill these boats correctly because we'd never been shown. We were just yeah, putting yeah, everything in. Oh, it looked pretty chaos, cool. I'm imagining. Yeah. yeah, there was a, there was a fair bit of chaos in there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then for me around about four in the morning, so this is another funny story. I opened I open up the gift shop because everybody's out on the back deck and, and when they're sliding up and down because the ship's listing quite badly and then they're screaming and then they'd all sort of budge back up and they slide down again. And it's cold and it's windy and it's all of those, all of those things in the middle of this terrifying ordeal. So I open up the gift shop and I start handing out these free jackets to people, these wind cheaters. <laughs> and I'm passing them out. I said, here you have this, you know, sort of stay warm. And someone said to me, um, have you got this in a medium? <laughs> and, and then another person says, have you got this in a different colour? Oh, no. And I said, it's free and I'm giving it to you because you're cold. No, I don't have a different colour. Just take it. <laughs> right. Isn't that crazy? But I so suppose people, in that situation, you just don't know how people are going to react, do you? Yeah, exactly. People will react differently um, in pressure situations. And all I, all I know is that um, I can only speak from my own experience. So... As I've said, for me, I didn't panic. I just said, okay, well, what else can I do to help? Well, what, what yeah, you seemed like you were very calm. I, I was. I genuinely was. And, and if it happened again, I don't know if I would be as calm. I might, as you get older, you kind of get more fearful of knowing more stuff. Like I said, yeah. I was pretty naive. And, and I think that probably helped. Did you think, I suppose, in, in that circumstance, did you sort of almost assume that it was going to be a rescue situation anyway? No, I, I, I didn't even assume. I, I had no idea how we were going to get off. I had no idea um, what was going to happen. Uh, I honestly hadn't even thought that far. And that's, wow. and that's partly the way I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, just, I just kind of did what I was told with the other people around there and, and yeah. said, well, where can I help? What can I do? And, and just let it unfold, I suppose. And, and, and that's just the, just the way it sort of, sort of happened. Like I said, incredibly lucky because... If it's sunk quicker, there's 170 people on board. There's no more lifeboats. Yeah. Um, it is shark-infested waters. It is huge swells. And sure, you've got a life jacket on, but the, the chances of 170 people being picked up safely yeah, um, exactly. throughout the night is, is pretty pretty low. Especially in dark waters. Oh, my God, that freaks me out. <laughs> it really freaks me out. This is Ant's Talk. So, um... <laughs> We, so you were, you were actually taken off the ship with one of the helicopters, is that right? No. So what happened oh, okay. was first light comes and they say, oh, we've, we've, uh, we've had a call. The South African Navy are, are on their way. We need, um, 
we need you to help uh, winch people from the front to the back. So at this stage, the captain was still on board. And the right. only reason he was still on board is that I, I spoke to one of the, 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 the female crew staff and, and she told me the story is that he tried to get into one of the lifeboats. His wife and child were on board that cruise. Uh, they're not on permanently, they were on that cruise. Uh, so he put them in a, a lifeboat and he tried to get in with them. And uh, somebody grabbed this little, um, little sort of um, hook at the back, uh, just, a, uh, just something on the back that you, when you tie your life jacket, there's also a little thing there as well to help sort of pull people. So it's just, oh, a, yeah. just a strap. So they grab that strap and says, you're not going anywhere. You're the captain. Right? <laughs> so he was still on board uh, at that stage, but had pre- pretty much abdicated all his responsibility. So we start loading people. We had to try and um, we had to cut the rope off, this, this big rope off the front so they wouldn't tangle with the helicopter. So I'm, I'm loading people on the front with the, the, the band leader and we're winching two people into helicopters two by two because this, this um, South African Navy guy said, I need you to do this. You stand here. I've got to do some other stuff on the ship, find out where those people still trapped, where they need help. So as I was doing the front and the back, they, these people started queue up to get onto their helicopters and the captain walked to the front of the ship, front of that queue, pushed someone out of the way, put the harness on himself and, and got winched up. So, oh so he, he was gone, leaving, you know, 170 for still on board. Wow. And so we, he, was he later charged? Is that correct? Uh, he was charged, yes. Yeah, I don't think he was because we're in international waters and it was a Greek ship. I don't know exactly what happened, uh, but yeah, d- certainly he didn't fulfil his duty. And yeah, the, you know, the saying is that the captain goes down with his ship, but he certainly has an obligation to just do his duty, which is to help coordinate the rescue, is to yeah. to follow the protocols and do all those things. And as I said, none of that happened. So when ended up um, happening after? Did you, were you called to sort of give evidence or go to court cases or anything like that? Or was it just sort no, of? No, none of that happened within within South Africa. I think the the crew and everything quickly went back to, to Greece because they were it was a Greek ship and they were yeah. all, they were all Greek. Uh, so I I didn't really follow the after story per per se, um, just because I think they the cruise line wanted to forget it as quickly as possible or sweep it under the carpet. Mm. Um, and because nobody died, it probably didn't quite get the legs that it that would have had for the the other one that sunk in in Italy that yeah, time when yeah. the captain was also negligent. It's uh, amazing so to it, think you know, that, that nobody sort of sued even. Do you know what I mean? Like I would sue. Mm. <laughs> I would be like, uh, you ruined my holiday and I want my money back. <laughs> and I want compensation for what I had to go through. That's what I'd be doing. Well, yeah, I mean, some of the stories, there was, there was a guy when the helicopters did come, this guy said to me, he said, oh, I'm going to go down to my cabin. I said, that's too dangerous. I said, why are you going? He said, I've got a surfboard. Oh. He said, I've got my favourite surfboard. I said, they're not going to winch you up with this surfboard under your arm. And he went, oh, yeah, okay, I suppose so. Then <laughs> oh, it's so funny another woman, think. Another woman was waiting in Durban um, and she turned up and, and the staff say, look, um, sorry, you can't get on the ship today. It's, it's, it's sinking. And she said, oh, okay, well, I'll come back this afternoon then. Said, no, no, you don't understand, madam. It's, it's sinking. It's halfway towards the bottom of the ocean. She said, oh, <laughs> so... so so there won't be a cruise t- today then? She's like, no, there oh, won't. 
<laughs> and that ship still remains at the bottom of the ocean. Yes, with, with my money and my camera at the bottom there as well. <laughs> my gosh. It's just fascinating. It, it's absolutely fascinating to think that you've sort of... I can't believe how calm you were in that circumstance. I really can't believe that. That's incredible. I mean, it, it obviously says a lot about you as a person because, I mean, even... I think even if I was at 23 years of age, I still would have been freaking out. I don't really know how I would react, to be honest. I find it really fascinating that you held such a calmness over it. There were people that, that were doing that, uh, you know, that were incredibly scared and, and came out. And I think other people had a sort of quiet calm and, and some people were, were somewhere in between. I think it's something that you can't really rationalize. You can't, I know that people in certain jobs train for those situations mm. to, to be able to overcome the panic. And, you know, you're talking fighter pilots, people in the army, yeah. you know, they're drilled even in theory, what should have happened. Even some of those, those um, crew members um, should have been following the process and the procedures. And for whatever reason that, you know, they didn't, but that, mm. I think that comes from the top. I think if the, the, the captain and the staff captain had done their, their, what their jobs and what they were paid for and trained for, I think it would have been uh, a far better um, process and system. Didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, that says quite a bit about them as people. But I think for me, you've got to kind of let that go and just go, well, you can only be responsible for yourself. You can only yeah. really do what or control what you can do. and and panicking doesn't help and doesn't yeah, help anybody um so it's as i said it it is a it, for me it was something that uh for years i just dismissed oh it just happened in yeah. fact i i joined ships afterwards and they do they did a safety video this is not what this is what not to do so i was famous on royal caribbean cruise line because they always played this video and so here's a funny story. I met my wife on cruise ships and we were, we met up in Alaska, I worked for a different cruise line, which is Royal Caribbean. And then she joined another ship. We worked on another ship together. She joined a ship before me about six weeks. And she called me from San Diego and said, I was watching this safety video about what not to do. Cause this is my first time on Royal Caribbean. We were on a, we were on a different cruise line. Yeah. And she said, there was a guy that just like you in that, in that video. And I said, it was me. She said, what? I said, she said, why didn't you tell me? I said, well, it just never came up. <laughs> That'd be like my first story I'd tell people at a party. <laughs> well, people would come up to me on that cruise line, uh, the, the staff, and say, oh, I just joined the ship. I just, I saw you in that video. That, that was cool. So, so people did kind of know. But so in, in some ways, it's a great lesson, the fact that this is not, this is what not to do. Mm. Um, if if that happens, so if nothing else, it became a a bit of a, a talking point for people to, see, to to figure out if something does happen, follow the process, don't yeah. do what these guys did. Do you think some of the calmness might have come from be like as you said, you were you know one of the last ones on the ship. Um, you know, majority of the boats had gone. Really, there was no other thing you could do except sort of follow direction and hope and pray that someone's coming to, to assist you all? It's a good question. There, there probably was an element of that. Sometimes you can be, I suppose, resigned to your fate um, mm. outside your control. Um, to be honest, I, I didn't see, I didn't see sort of 
aside from the ship sinking um, slowly, there wasn't to me a lot of dramatic sort of things. We weren't, it's not like an airplane. I've been in an airplane since they dropped out of the sky and had really bad turbulence. So uh, <laughs> I consider myself, I've had three near death experiences. This is probably the biggest one, but the plane was similar. Wow. I think it, it happened in slow motion. It all happened just so slowly and yeah. um, that. To me, that was that was probably something that I just sort of rolled with. It How many been, hours did it sort of go over? Was it what four or five hours or something? Ah, uh, no, it starts at about nine o'clock at night, and and I got oh. off about ten o'clock the next morning. So you're oh, talking wow. 12, 12 hours. Okay, so that makes more sense now because when I watched some of the footage, it was daytime, and I was like, yeah. So uh, so that's obviously what's happened is they've they've i think it was abc that got the footage of the the sink actually finally sinking um and it was spoken about purely because it sunk the same way as the titanic did um i mean it's it if if any of the listeners want to go and look at the footage it is on youtube and you can go and watch it it's quite a sight to be seen because it is quite similar to what you saw in the movie um but I also noticed that when they were winching people up, they were doing it two by into the helicopters, two people at a time. Is that was that something that was intended, or were they sort of trying to do that so it just was happening quickly? That's the process they taught us. So when the the South African uh, Navy guy came and said, "This is what you do," he said, "You right. put the hands up, put two of them on there, and, and winch them up." So that that is their probably standard protocol, but yes, probably two by two just to, to speed it up as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because no one knew, I asked him, I said, how long have we got until it sinks? I distinctly remember asking that at the very start. And he said, well, it'll get so bad that you could probably almost stand on the other side of the, the ship or the other side of the railing. So it'll probably get that far over before it finally goes. He said, I can't tell you how long you've got. He said, well, we'll, we'll just try and get, as, we'll just get people off as quickly as, as, as we can. Um, so again, yeah, he was, he was quite calm. Um, so yeah, he, oh. he, he'd also helped somebody, somebody fell out of one of the, the winches at the back. So the helicopter had gone off. He wasn't fully in the harness, yeah. fell into the water. So this African diver dived in to, to help this guy cause he was getting swept past the ship and under it. So he dived in, helped him. And then he just popped up over the side of the ship and he had a rip in his, he had a rip in his, um, wetsuit a little, little cut on his face as well. And he just popped up over the side. And we're like, oh, where'd you come from? He said, I had to go and help someone that fell over. So as I said, there were all these that is funny crazy. things happening at the time. Yeah, yeah. That would, and, he would have almost been like a little seal that just popped about out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a little, little cut on it, a little cut on him, and a little cut on his thing, like and this, this, you know, this superhero climbing up over the side of the ship, like, where do you come from? <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah, lucky enough. And the final way I got off is that there was no more helicopters. There was, there was about 20 of us left, and there was no more helicopters because they were both refueling at the same time. So there, was, there wasn't much else to do. So we had some... Zodiacs, which are um, little motorized rubber boats that fit about 10 people in. So they said, they're down at the very front of the ship. Let's just launch those because the ship was tipping so far over that the water was coming up to the front of it. You could, you could right. step off into the water. Wow. Um, so at the end there, I, I was with a couple of the um, guy from the laundry who, who wasn't um, Greek nationality and a couple of other people. And we jumped into the water and then into this, this Zodiac, which wouldn't start. And we floated past the ship. And then there was a, 
there was a tanker on its way to Argentina, one of those um, yeah. big cargo ships, all those big containers on there. So they'd launched their lifeboat. So they picked us up. And there was about 20 of us in the end on, on there. And then we were on the bridge, on the bridge talking to I spoke to my mum. They patched me through to her. A couple of other people called. And they said, look, we can winch you all off and take you to Africa or the ship will just spend the next 12 hours going into port. And, and everyone just said, look, we probably don't want to go on a helicopter now. We're, we're happy to stay on this ship. We'll, we'll dock the next day. So, so they, they're on their way to Argentina and they diverted and, and took us in to, to land and wow. dock us the next, the next morning. One thing I've always wondered in that situation, what is it like to be left with? Because I'm assuming you would have had a passport, which would have been in your staff you know, all your belongings. What is it like to be left with nothing? Yeah, that was, that's a great question. I, I literally got off with the clothes on my back minus my shoes, even I'd take my shoes off to sort of jump into the water. So that was all I had. I didn't have any money, any documentation. The thing about a near-death experience, and, and people have said this, and it's so true, that the first couple of beers and the meal afterwards for the next couple of days, they just tasted amazing. It was like the best beer I've ever, ever drunk. Best food I've ever tasted because you, you, your senses really were heightened. I, I can honestly attest to this. But I think the following day we went out somewhere and, and it was huge news in South Africa. So people were buying us drinks. Um, people were treating us like mini celebrities. But then I went to say, look, I, I, you know, I need to leave. And they said, well, how can you prove you're on the ship? So, well, I can't. <laughs> Because I had no passport, yeah. I had to go and apply for a passport. That is not. So yes, I was stuck in limbo. But the generosity of the South African people, and and because several of the staff working on there were South African, because they chartered the ship, um, they took us round. They great hospitality. They they you know really showed their appreciation. Um, because you know we were the people that that, that rescued you know a ninety. 99% of the, of the passengers were South Africans. Yeah. Um, so, you know, effectively, we'd, we'd help coordinate the rescue and, and save these people's lives. So, so as I said, you know, people were, were intrigued. They were generous. They were, they were very open. And, and so I had a, had a good couple of weeks there. Be, had no money to my name yeah. and, and no ID. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, eventually sort of, sort of got out of the country. Oh, that's good. That's good. And what's been happening in your life since? Well, as I said, I, I, I worked for another eight years on cruise ships and just used that as, as something that I just buried. I just told funny stories about it. That's all I ever did. And then it was only about five, six years ago, I, I run my own business for, for the last 12, 13 years in events. But about four years ago, I, I decided to do something else. And I looked on that um, key pivotal moment as is there something in this? Is this part of my DNA and my nature? So I use that ability to help people to, to start a business around creating, they're called masterminds. So basically I help people who are experts at what they do um, create paid communities around using that expertise to teach other people, to lead other people and create these mini tribes and mini communities around, around their expertise. And it really just tied into my, core philosophy is that often experts can't see their own expertise mm. because they're, they're, they're stuck in the trenches. So I, I show them how 
how valuable what they do is is a sellable product to other people to teach people to lead people to show them how good they can be at what they do and it just really tied into that key pivotal moment in my life is that i genuinely enjoyed helping people right it was yeah. way above my pay grade i didn't panic i just stepped in and said okay, what what do you need me to do how can i help um so i know it's a core core value of mine it's not definitely not something i've had to learn not something i've had to to sort of fake it till you make it. It's just genuinely who I am. Yeah. So for me, I think when people are struggling to, to start their own business or run a business, it's a really good idea just to think about your core being, what's your intrinsic values, what's your key motivations? Mm. Uh, because when you align those to a business, that's when the, the magic happens. Yeah. And, you, know, you, know, you know deep down, I'm supposed to do this, I should be doing this. Uh, so I just use that, um, probably superpower is too strong a word, but the core values of what I'm looking for, I, I teach that in others and I help people do that. And it sure. aligns so much to me because I know it's so authentic. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I've just, I've actually just completed a radio course and part of um, that was actually finding our X factor. So that, that might be what you'd like to call it. It's, um, you know, basically finding out what, what is unique about each of us. And it was a really, it was a great lesson because I've ne- it's, it's a funny thing to look at yourself and almost not judge yourself, but try to think about what your strengths are. It's, it's quite a difficult thing because we don't want to feel like we're being egotistical or anything like that. It's, it's quite challenging to have a really good look at yourself and go, okay, well, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. And this is my X factor. This is why people are fascinated by me. You know, I don't like being, I don't like my ego very much. I don't like, I mean, I'm always downplaying my talents and stuff. So it was, it was a challenging um, uh, thing that we had to do within the course. It was actually quite fascinating to look at and And also see other people do it. And what is your X factor then? My X factor is I'm fascinated with people and I think I, I, I've got a, a nature which is very nurturing and also very warm and um, I'm, I'm very down to earth, very calming. And I think that it allows people to talk about themselves and for me to learn about them. Um, and I'm fascinated with the mind. I absolutely am fascinated by how the mind works um, and how we've got such different people. In one of my, my little radio things I did, I actually spoke about the differences between people like Oprah who are doing such amazing things on the planet. But then on the other spectrum, you've got someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, who's a serial killer, um, and how our lives and upbringings and, and you know, even DNA can change our life, basically, because you know, we all grow up with different influences and it then sort of sets us on a path which can either be good or bad, really. And did you find that um, discovering that has, has helped you? Because um, you're right, it, it can be really hard to, um, the saying is that you can't read the label when you're inside the jar, which exactly. is a lot of us in our, in our own business, we can't see that self-awareness of how other people see us and think. Was that mm. valuable to you to sort of help you understand yourself and it align did. It gave me It gave me more confidence within myself. Um, yeah. I suppose once you sort of, except that we all have talent. It's not a bad thing to sort of acknowledge them. It's, it's quite a good thing for you to do. Um, I think that was my biggest lesson was not to be sort of embarrassed or ashamed and stop, stop downplaying them because, I mean, I'm, very, I'm a very creative person. You know, I, I'm a makeup artist by trade. I, 
do photography. I'm an artist. Um, I work on radio station. I do this podcast. So I'm obviously very creative. Um, and before, you know, when people would say that to me, oh, you must be very creative. I'd just go, oh, you know, I'm just doing things that I like to do. I'm always downplaying the talent, yeah. basically. So after the course, I thought, I thought to myself, well, no, I, I do have talent and I've got to accept that and embrace it because it's only going to do me better. Exactly, yeah. And, and very similar to what I do. As I said, I, I take those experts who are potentially stuck in what they do and, and say, potentially, you can turn this into one to many. You, you already have the expertise. Let me show you how to package that up, mm. teach groups of people rather than one-on-one and, and really sort of um, find your genius, um, work it all out and, and become that leader and stop hiding, not hiding, but stop deflecting or let's just really, really showcase your expertise and, and, and um, take it to that next level. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to do yourself just because um, we just don't, we don't have the self-awareness or we're really good at spotting other people's genius, but not our own. <laughs> I think that we just, I think sometimes it's just a little bit of embarrassment to sort of acknowledge it. And it's, it, I think we do feel like we're being blowing our own trumpet and, uh, we've sort of been, I suppose, taught to not do that where sometimes you've got to do it and it's good to do it. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. You can do it without bragging. And when you do that from a genuine, authentic place, then then that's 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 a great way to do it. So, exactly. yeah, this is what I do. I, I get great results. I'm really good at this. I don't need to to apologise. I don't need to, to deflect. I don't need to, to downplay it. This mm, is what I do. Right? That's it. Uh, 100%. That's not bragging. That's just just um, authentic, genuine, you know, confident of this is what I do. Yeah. And yes, that's why people hire coaches. That's why people go on courses. That's why people hire someone like me if, if they're just not sure how to package that up because mm. um, this is what, what we do. And we all have great talents, as you said, unique talents. It's, and it's just leveraging that. And it's, it's just drawing that out of people. All, all I really do is... Um, I don't really teach people anything per se. There's a couple of techniques that I do around sort of thought leadership thing, but really all I'm doing is saying, you've already got this. Let me just show you a framework for you to enhance it and, and, and build that confidence and ensure that you um, structure that in a way that you can impact more people and have that bigger legacy. Yeah. All yeah. I do. So um, for the listeners, while we're talking about this, why don't you um, let them know where they can actually see more about what you're doing? Well, the two best places to find me is my website, which is eCountability.io. So it's the same as accountability, but with an E, because I hope people become accountable. And <laughs> LinkedIn, if they find me, I'm just Ronan Leonard, the mastermind guy. So very active on LinkedIn. It's my favorite platform. It's a great B2B interaction. Yeah. So business to business owners. Um, it's, far, it's far less frivolous than than either, I suppose, Twitter or Facebook. So it's just my preferred. My it's preferred a lot more profession-based. It's, it's, it's more about work. I, that, I, that's what I appreciate about it. It's none of the, the BS and, you know, people aren't sort of talking about their relationship status and stuff. It's basically talking about what you do for work, you know, or as a hobby and keeping it professional. That's what I really like about it. Yeah, but it's also the ability to, to, to really connect with other like-minded people, to oh, collaborate, to, yeah. to take things um, and explore ideas that you could potentially help each other as well as mm. finding clients. But yeah, you're Definitely. right. It's, uh, 
it's far more professional. And if you don't want to spend your time watching cat videos or telling people all about <laughs> your private life, then, then it's a great way of, of meeting new people, but in that more professional setting. Yeah, exactly. Now, before we finish, I've just got some questions for you. So basically, after each podcast, just to lighten the mood a little, I like to ask questions from kids around the planet. And your questions are from Aston, who lives in Queensland here in Australia. So he would like to know, who's your favourite superhero? My favourite superhero? I would have to be Superman, just because, just because I grew up with him. He was the most um, down-to-earth, relatable. So Superman yeah, for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, now, this, this you're going to have to use your, your you know, uh, interpretation with this one. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> a better version of myself. That's a great answer. I love that. That's a really yeah, good answer. I have, I have a phrase that I, I, I the only co- com- competition, I don't compete with anybody else but the, my previous version of myself. Yeah. Um, so I have no competitors in business or anything. It's just, you know, can I be a better person tomorrow than I was today? Mm. So. That's a great answer. Um, when you grow up, would you prefer to be a superhero, a police officer or a fireman? Oh, my sister is a firewoman and my oh, wow. brother-in-law is a firewoman. So when I grow up, I would like <laughs> to be a fireman. I love it. I'd go for a superhero just so I can have the power. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Um, I'm sure, as I've said before, please, listeners, go and check out the website. Um, but I really appreciate appreciate your time today and speaking to us about your journey and what's happened in your life. I think it's absolutely fascinating and incredible. I really do. Lovely. Thanks for the opportunity, Anthony. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. Ants talk. It's like Oprah, but not.